Good morning. I have, a, I have a computer. I don't. I hope that doesn't bother you guys. I don't have my notes, not on paper. Usually I do. Usually I'm more of a old-fashioned kind of guy, but I went a little fancier today. Thought it was appropriate. So you can maybe turn that down. I may be speaking loud and joyously proclaiming some things today. Um, so I'm going to be kind of honest with you guys, after, especially after Jamie kind of brought it today. I was like, well, I don't particularly want to be up here today. Like, not necessarily, I want to be here, but not necessarily up here speaking for vi- a variety of reasons, but mostly stemming from uh, this idea that I consider myself uh, an intellectual. And what I really mean by intellectual is that I'm like overly analytical and too much inside my own head that like kind of getting the thoughts out is a little more difficult than, uh, than I'd like them to be. So we're kind of going to stumble through some things and we'll see what happens. But as I was preparing what I was going to speak on, I kind of uh, even questioned the need, my cynicism kind of questioned, like, why, why am I even speaking? Like, if it's difficult for me to articulate things well, get them out, and maybe hopefully you guys get something out of it, we're all just going to come back here next week and kind of do the same thing, kind of maybe switch it up, maybe learn about something else. But it's like, what's the point? Eventually, I kind of got over my cynicism, uh, mostly because I already committed to speaking today. And I could either <laughs> stand up here and have something prepared or just like stare at you for 20 minutes, which I feel like I could still do that because we could just contemplate what Jamie said and we could just really soak it in. And I think, I think it could actually almost work. But uh, I decided... Maybe not to do that, because that probably wouldn't be the best use of our time. But my cynicism didn't even stop there, because after I decided maybe I should speak, I kind of was thinking, all right, why do I have to speak about joy? It's a very like emotional, outgoing type of thing, and sometimes I can be outgoing, but mostly I like to stay, stick to myself, so I'm like, oh, joy, that's so fun. So Chuck took us through kind of why Advent, and he, he took us through all that, and Jen talked about the necessity of hope, and so I was like, all that, that makes sense, yeah, I'm on board with that, and I'm like, joy, it's just like, it's cool, but it's just so taxing sometimes, you know? And so I thought, you know, what's so great that we need to explicitly talk about joy during the Advent season, and hopefully this morning, some of my gleamings will come across, and you guys can kind of pick up on what I'm saying, and maybe it makes sense. So let's pray. God, I just pray that the words that I speak and kind of what we all take away uh, this morning is in line with you and in what you're doing. Amen. So before we answer the question of why joy, uh, I kind of want to do a little background, kind of recap kind of the past two weeks. So last week, Chuck spoke, or not two weeks ago, Chuck spoke on kind of why Advent. And just briefly, he kind of went through the, the whole Bible and kind of the whole overarching story of God and his pursuit for us. And then he kind of talked about the legend of Honey. And uh, if you guys didn't listen to it, I'm doing a very brief recap, so it's really not doing it justice at all. So go to the website, check out the podcast, listen to, to him speak. It, it was really good. Uh, but briefly, the legend of Honey is essentially uh, there's a drought and Honey prays for rain and there's a little drizzle that comes, and he's like, that's not what I prayed for. So he prays again, and there's this torrential downpour, and it's flooding. He's like, that's also not what, I, not what I prayed for. And so then he prays again, and it's just the perfect amount of rain. He's like, all right, that's what I pray for. And it was known as, before that day, people were like, mm, didn't necessarily believe that. But after the day, uh, they couldn't not believe what had happened, right? And that's kind of where we're at in the story of, of the Messiah, right? 
So the purpose of Advent isn't just to commemorate the, the first arrival of Jesus. It's not just a birthday party that we mark like, yeah, he was born, party on. But it's also focused on his second coming, right? Jamie kind of alluded to this in what he was saying. And so when Christ returns, you see, it's not just good enough that, he, that Christ came and was born and kind of lived, uh, lived life once. And it's not even enough that he's kind of with us now spiritually in our hearts and in our midst. But ultimately, he's coming again in a physical sense, physical sense to, to completely fulfill his promise that he made to us, right? And so then last week, Jen uh, brought the word as well and just like, boom, right in the, right in the throat, throat punch. Uh, uh, and she spoke on hope. And so if you didn't hear that again, check out the podcast. I'm not doing it justice at all. But she kind of essentially talked about the necessity of hope and that we need hope. And not just for hope's sake, but hope in God, right? Because uh, it's more than just, again, more than just a commemoration of the first Christmas, but also an expectation of Christ's return. So that brings us to joy, which I get the honor of speaking on. So before we answer again the question of why joy, let's kind of define joy a little bit. Like, what is joy? Jamie kind of did a really good definition. Like, I could leave it there, but I won't because I am long-winded. So I'll give you a couple dictionary-esque definitions. The first comes from Merriam-Webster classic dictionary to, to grab your de- 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 definitions from. And it says, joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. And a second definition, this is from Kay Warren, more of a Christian definition, I would say, is joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of our lives the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise him in every situation. So kind of a similar point in both of these definitions is that joy is kind of a feeling, an emotion, right? Uh, In the first definition, it's entirely a feeling that we have, and partially so in the second, because that last part kind of is an action, is required uh, as a result of joy, right? So as Christians... Joy is a feeling that is based on God as opposed to just a worldly joy. We can use that term that's based on kind of circumstantial things or finite things that can change and uh, aren't always uh, fixed, right? But joy is, our joy as Christians is based on essentially the only fixed point in the universe. So it's the only well-founded uh, joy essentially in the world, right? Because in Job, it says that the good times of the wicked are short-lived, that godless joy is only momentary. And also, throughout the Old Testament, we we get this, uh, uh, not comparison, but we get this uh, connection between joy and true worship of God. You know, in, uh, in the Psalms, we get rejoicing and throughout the old testament and even in the new testament kind of this idea of rejoicing no matter in in god no matter what happens but especially when something good happens right so because god as the only unchanging being in the universe is the only appropriate place to place our joy and he won't let us down uh it's kind of essential that we have that that part of the definition within when we're talking about joy right which jamie did a really good job that's a good illustration I'm still contemplating, just silent contemplating that. This is really good. But temporarily also, it's good to note that we may have joy through like worldly triumphs, little things, which isn't a bad thing, but a meaningful joy can only be found in God. So 
brief uh, disclaimer before what I'm about to say. So I only took Greek for two years, so I'm not an expert by any means. So you don't take this with a grain of salt, but it's not like doctrine, but you can still take this. So interestingly enough, the word in Greek for joy is kara, uh, which is simply translated usually as joy or gladness. And it comes from the root kar, which uh, the root kind of means extended favor or lean towards or be favorably disposed. So essentially kind of joy is uh, grace or, or the awareness of God's grace or favor. So it's grace recognized. And joy in the biblical sense is what we're talking about now, is essentially recognizing or being conscious of God's grace and his favor and what he's done for us. So this is important to note because it not only or it highlights that joy isn't just for us, like we don't get something out of it, but rather it's a byproduct of what God has done, and we simply get to reap the benefits, which is pretty neat. So let's, uh, you can throw that verse up there or that passage. We're kind of going to look at Luke and I'd like to focus on this passage about John the Baptist and uh, maybe glean some things from it. So in the day of verse 5, uh, Luke 1, 5 through 25, if you're looking up in your, in your Bibles. Uh, verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So I want to stop here, because it's interesting to note that Luke kind of highlights that they were... Is it there? Oh, I guess I can look here. Uh, highlights that they were both righteous before God, before he said that they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. Because it was kind of seen, childlessness was kind of a disgrace and not looked upon very favorably. But Luke makes the distinction that this wasn't caused for any like personal sin that they did or anything they did wrong, but rather that this was part of God's plan. And this is crucial because, especially when we're speaking on joy, because we, have, we may not know all that God is doing or his plans or anything like that, but we, we have to be secure in knowing that he's working everything out for the good of those who love him. So therefore, joy, our joy is founded in God. So through, even through difficult circumstances, um, like what uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were going through, we can still be joyful and rejoice in him. And that's one of the, if you don't take anything, that's, that's one main point that you can take away this morning, that our joy is founded in God, and no matter what our circumstances, we can still be joyful and rejoice in him. And that's kind of the idea of putting our faith into action, right? Not just saying that we believe in God, but living it out. So verse 8, continuing on. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the customs of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and, he, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, classic angel move right now, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So I want to stop one more moment. So Zechariah probably has prayed this prayer hundreds of times, right? 
And it's only now that he's old and this seems kind of impossible to happen that his prayers have been answered. So again, we have to recognize that God has a plan and we have to trust that he knows what he's doing. Sometimes it's in our circumstances, we, we think, God, I don't think you really know what you're doing. It's not like maybe you created everything and are literally God, and, but I think, I think you're doing this wrong, right? But spoiler alert, he does know what he's doing. So verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. So here, I want to stop again. Last time I stopped before we end the passage. But here we have a good example of the practical workings of joy, right? I'm a very practical guy at times, most of the time. And God has a plan, right? He executes that plan. And then as a result of that plan, things work out for good. And then we reap the benefits of said plan and rejoice and properly give God kind of his due through worship, right? Simple enough. Simple formula. Got it in your head. That's the easy part, right? Knowing it. It's actually like living it out. But even more than that, this section highlights something very important. So the people aren't going to rejoice for John. This is about John the Baptist, if you weren't picking up on that. Uh, They're not rejoicing simply because John's going to be a great guy. He's going to do some cool things. He's going to be a a, a good example. But more than that, what this means for the Jewish people is John is effectively ending like what... Uh, Chuck kind of talked about the 400 years of prophetic silence that was going on. And that alone is a big deal that he's breaking that. But even more than that, he's also the messenger for the Messiah, which is even like double, like that's like double reward points for your Discover cards. Like what? He's got that going. And so that's paramount, right? Especially for the Jews in any time, but especially during this time with the Roman occupation and all that fun stuff. So imagine being at like a sports event or your concert, and you have the announcer announcing, you know, who's going to come up on stage, or the, the team coming out, and everybody just goes wild. It's like that moment, right? The Jews are getting pumped for what's about to happen. So let's finish the passage real quick. Uh, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So this is kind of that joy, like, explaining it, right? Verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived... And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. So that's the fulfilled promise part, right? Which I'll kind of get to a little later. So in this passage, we can see joy as a response to what God has done with his plan, right? He's executed his plan. 
people are, are rejoicing, obviously. But more so, it's also a response to the, just the initial portion of God's overall plan, right, for the entirety of, of humanity. And it's the entirety of this plan that hasn't come into focus yet. And the promise and the hope of it is there, but it's not completely fulfilled, right? It's so, uh, only partially has come to pass. So our joy isn't just bound up then in fulfilled promises, things that God has already done, but it's also connected to unfulfilled promises, promises that will yet to be uh, fulfilled. And so joy is connected then, to bring it back to what Jen was talking about last week, to this hope that we have in God, to the assurance that he is faithful, that he is good, and to the understanding that the unfulfilled promises he has made, he will fulfill them, right? So we know this not, because, not simply because in our brains we know God's nature, and though that would be enough to rejoice about God, right, just knowing about him in our heads. But we know this also because, uh, as pointed out in this passage, God has already fulfilled promises, right? We've experienced uh, these things. And he has no intention of stopping fulfilling his promises now. He's not going to be like, you know, I already did all that great stuff. I'm just going to take a break now, guys. You guys have fun. No, right? So it points to what he has done. It points to what he is doing currently and will continue to do. So our joy is based on the promise of a redeemer and then the fulfillment of that promise by Jesus. And because of our position in uh, this now and not yet, that Jesus has come, but he hasn't come a second time, so we're in this kind of tension, right? That the time between the first advent and the second advent, joy then becomes more than just a feeling of comfort, kind of talked about comfort, or saying about comfort and joy. It's more than just this comfort for Christians, but it's also then meant to be an arrow to point to God. Because when non-Christians see us being joyful uh, through life's harshness, through trials and temptations, first thought will probably be they're crazy, but then their second thought will probably be like, I kind of want that. And so that, because honestly, who doesn't want to be kind of anchored in the assurance that all is going, all is well, all is fine, especially really in any time period, like history has been crazy. It's not just our moment right now that things seem like they're going haywire. But in all times to know that ultimately all is well, everything is going to work out. So as Christians then, especially during a time of Advent, this, this Christmas season, we are the ones that must point to Christ, right? It's our responsibility. We can't expect the world to take Christmas at its value and be like, hey, Christmas, Jesus, right? It's our responsibility, our responsibility in our lives, through our actions and by our words, and with everything that we have. Because, again, this is our season. It's not the world's season. They may have taken it on their own, but Christmas is the celebration of the same Savior that we proclaim to know. So if you don't like kind of the commercialization of Christmas, you know, you can kind of somewhat see it in some decorations, but not all decorations. Also, by the way, the youth did this, so you can clap for them real quick. Just, we'll take a side sidebar. All right, I'm bringing it back to joy. Uh, and so if you don't like the commercialization of Christmas, then take it back, right? We're the Christians. This is our season. We, we are the ones who should be joyful and proclaim the good news and proclaim what Christmas is really about. Because when we look through for, for joy kind of in our traditions of Christmas, 
making sure that like whenever we, because uh, it's interesting, because you have like the whole Santa Claus kind of commercialized side of Christmas that happens. But then as Christians, we kind of then try to point to our own traditions, right? Of like the nativity and Jesus, and Jesus is the reason for the season and all that fun stuff. But if we look for joy in those traditions rather than through those traditions, joy is essentially cut off from the foundation of God, of knowing that it's, it's not joy founded in him, but rather just in the emotions or, or the feelings or a finite thing. So looking for joy in the Christmas kind of traditions and trappings is almost like, it's kind of like opening a beautifully wrapped package with a, a card that reads joy inside only to find it empty, right? And I may be doing that this Christmas season because I'm broke, but that's beside the point. <laughs> because our Christmas traditions don't so much house joy as, as they do point to joy. So if we want our joy fulfilled, we, we have to look less at Christmas and more through Christmas. And that's especially as Christians in the now, not yet, and the first coming, between the first coming of Christ and the second coming. We already have kind of the looking at Christmas. It's already happened. So we've got to look through it to what is continuing to happen and will happen. Because through, Chris, through Christmas is where our, our, our perspective uh, on joy and, and kind of the indestructible nature of it because of its foundation in God is really what it's about, right? So Christ uh, is our Messiah and our Redeemer, and that's what our, our Advent season, as kind of Chuck mentioned uh, two weeks back, is about. And looking through then Christmas and commemorating the, uh, the, the birth and life and death and resurrection of Christ is is part of what we're doing, right? Don't get me wrong. But then we have that whole second part of all that is pointing to his final return. So it's this dual focus on the past and then on the future that Advent symbolizes kind of the spiritual journey that we have as individuals and as a congregation, that Christ has come, he's in the world now, and he will come again in kind of his full power. And it's the acknowledgement of that that kind of provides kind of a basis for our, our kingdom ethics, if you will, how, how we should be living in this now and not yet, because we're called to be faithful stewards of what God has entrusted to us. So as the church, celebrating God's inbreaking into history with, with Christ's first coming, and it kind of anticipates the future coming of Christ, we also then have to kind of confess our own responsibility within this whole process to love God, and to love people, our kind of mission, vision statement, well, mission statement. So, as I close, kind of let this Advent, as, as Jamie so eloquently illustrated this image of joy, of kind of breaking out and breathing and exulting, exultation, uh, this Advent season, kind of let your joy be contagious and be just uh, blah, at times, right, and partake, partake in all the wonderful traditions of, of Christmas and all the, the, the meaningful things that happen, but don't be so caught up in them that you forget to be the light and to be kind of the, the, uh, the beacon of hope during the season, because as Christians, Christian literally means little Christ, and we are his ambassadors, and we're the ones who's supposed to take uh, him throughout the, the entire world, right, so for joy... 
as rec- uh, going back to that, that definition, joy as recognition of God's, the grace that God has given to us, he's offered that grace to everyone. And so it is our, our time to partner with him to make his grace known uh, for the world and not just for ourselves and keep it in and be mad when people are like talking about Santa Claus during Christmas. And I'm like, that's not what this season is about. But it's our, our duty, our, our job, if you will, to put it in very utilitarian terms, to be Christ, to show what this season is about. So to be the, the reason for the season, in a sense. Jesus is the main reason for the season, but we're the ones pointing to that through, through our traditions, through how we're living, and the practical day-to-day, uh, uh, especially this season, obviously throughout our lives. So pray with me. God, I pray that we can begin to fully recognize your grace in our lives a whole lot more than we've already had. Obviously, we, we know of kind of the main things you've done, right? You sent your son. You're going to send him again. You love us. You love everyone. But also those little things in our lives, our, our individual lives, those personal things that you've done for us. I just pray that we can begin to open our eyes to those things, to rejoice for what you have done for us. And I pray that we then can share this joy and, and um, exhibit it to others, especially during this season, but throughout our lives, through more than just our words, but also our actions. So keep us and sustain us uh, throughout uh, our lives, and especially during this season. Amen.